Okay, let's get ready to get started here. You are listening to the Manifesting God podcast with your host, Marie Elizabeth. This podcast will uplift and thrust you into the manifestation of the promises of God in your life. for joining me on this evening. If you heard me get over to 1 Corinthians, get over to 1 Corinthians 5, and we're going to get ready to get started. I'm sorry, Podbeam, I forgot to hit start. We're going to get ready to get started, everyone. Thank you again. Let me hit start. Hit start. Thank you so much. You are listening to the Manifesting God podcast. I am your host, Prophetess Marie Elizabeth. We are in 1 Corinthians 5. Let's get ready to get started here on this evening. God has a word for each and every one of us. And I'm telling you right now, I just, God is really cleansing us from filthiness of the flesh, filthiness of the spirit. And he is purging us because he wants us to behold. He wants us to be upright before us. He wants us to be able to walk worthy of the vocation wherein we are called. But for that to happen, there can be no stain. There can be no stain. And there are some things that God is just intricately, very detailedly looking at us. And he is going to beginning to call things to our attention, things that we've not paid attention to before, things that we, you know, we may have let slide, things we we really didn't give much consideration to. We thought it was okay. We thought we were doing our part. But how many of you know that when God is calling us to a greater level in him, when he's calling us to a, a place that where we are on display as that example, as he was, as Jesus was, when he walked the earth, then there's more. There's more that he wants from us. I'm in first uh, Corinthians, the fifth chapter in the King James version, where it says, number one, verse one, it is reported commonly that there is fornication among you. And I know you're like, wait, what? What? How do we get here? But I'm telling you, stay with me because I'm going somewhere. It is reported commonly that there is fornication among you and such fornication as is not so much named among the Gentiles that one should have his father's wife. We are talking about the issue here. We are talking about fornication right now. That's the issue in 1 Corinthians 5 verse 2. And on top of fornication, and ye are puffed up. Ye are puffed up. You're arrogant. On top of the fornication, you're arrogant and you have not rather mourned as a sign of repentance that that he had done this deed might be taken away from you. You had not even thought to seek God, to get to God in 
prayer and repent or even on the behalf of the brother that they're referring to in this text, because this was a brother who had basically slept with his stepmother and it was known throughout the churches. It was known throughout the church and they said nothing. And it had been reported throughout all the churches that fornication had resided and infiltrated the church. And rather than rebuke it, rather than go to God in prayer and seek repentance, they had instead become puffed up. They had instead become arrogant. And just so that we're clear here, Let's understand that fornication in the Greek, while it might be illicit sexual intercourse in this text, it might be it might be adultery, fornication. Um, the Greek defines it as a homosexuality, lesbianism, intercourse with animals, sexual intercourse with close relatives, sexual intercourse with a divorced man or woman. While we might be referring to adultery, fornication in this particular text. And while we might be referring to it in the meaning as relating to sexual intercourse, can I tell you that this particular word also carries a meaning for a meaning for us today. Today in our lives, this Greek word also means worship of idols. It also means a defilement of idolatry as incurred possibly by eating sacrifices, by digestion, by by having by by taking in the sacrifice that is offered to idols so we see here in this text that while it may be referring to sexual intercourse it is also referring to idolatry it is also referring to idolatry and rather than repent we become arrogant, the word tells us in verse two. They became arrogant rather than repent. They decided to be puffed up. Rather, it's not me. I'm so glad it's not me. I'm so glad it's him. I'm so glad it's her. I'm so glad that it's not me. We become puffed up and we remove ourselves from the situation rather rather than mourn and show up to God with the re Repentance. But see here, as we move down to verse five, we see that there is indeed a remedy. There is a remedy. Looking at verse five, it says, and this is Paul's instruction to the church at Corinth, to deliver such a one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh, of the flesh that the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Verse six, your glorying is not good. Your glorying is not good. That which you submit unto God, your praise, your worship, you're moving, you're moving away rather than rebuking this form of fornication, this form of idolatry, this form of sexual intercourse, illegal sexual intercourse. It's not good. It's not good. You know it's there. You see it there. We all see it, but your glorying in it is not good. Do you not know, the verse says, that a little leaven, it leaveneth the whole lump, a little leaven, just a little bit of arrogance, just a little bit of puffed up, just a little bit of ignoring. It can leaven, it can leaven the entire lump. It can leaven out your entire being. It can infiltrate your entire being. 
Verse seven says, purge out therefore the old leaven. Get rid of it. Get rid of it that ye may be a new lump as ye are unleavened. You're the body of Christ. For even Christ, our Passover, is sacrifice for us. He says in verse nine, I wrote unto you in an epistle not to company with fornicators. I wrote in you to an, append, an epistle not to have company with those that worship idols, those that are puffed up and arrogant in their worship of idols. I've wrote this already to you, Paul is saying, and we see here in the word that it even stands for us today. It has already been written. It has already been published not to associate with idols, not to associate with anything that is that we take ourselves, we create ourselves and we place it above the Lord Jesus Christ. We are to purge it out because we understand giving that thing even just a little glory, giving that thing just a little recognition. Next thing you know, we've taken it in fully and we've completely moved God out and we've created the place that where God sits, we moved him out and we put in its place, idolatry, the thing that we admire, the thing that we love, the thing that we need, the thing that, guess what? We created with our own hands. We created it with our own hands. Do we see this today? We see it today. Do we see it in our lives? Some of us, come on, I'm going to make you think today. You, you look around, look at what you put first, look at where your priorities are, and it'll tell you where your idols are. It'll show you the place where you've built idols. It'll show you the resting place. It will show you the resting place of your idols of your idols. And Paul is saying to them, I wrote in, wrote to you earlier in an earlier epistle, not to company with fornicators. And he got specific. He broke it down to in the world and in the church. In the world, he says in verse 10, yet not all together with the fornicators of this world. Or and he breaks it down with the covetous with the covetous or the extortioners or with the idolaters, for then ye must needs go out of the world, out of the world. And then when he breaks it down, he's saying there in the Greek, it says a fornicator there is a man who indulges in unlawful sexual intercourse. And then the covetous there is one that is eager to have more, especially something that belongs to another. They are greedy of gain. That's covetous. They are greedy of gain. And then Paul tells us, stay away also from the extortioners in the world. Those folks are ravenous in the Greek. They're a robber in the Greek. He tells them to stay away from idolaters. They are those that worship false God. They worship false gods, false gods, false gods. Again, with the adulterers, we have to remember these are things that we create ourselves and we give them a place. We make 
space for them. We must make space for them in our lives. And to make space for them, we in turn have moved God out. So Paul tells them, stay away in, in the world, stay away from the fornicators, stay away from the covetous, stay away from the extortioners, stay away from the idolaters. And then he tells them also, he says, listen, I, I these are fornicators of the world. I'm, I'm going to break this down for you. This is what you're going to see in the world. This is what you are to stay away from. But then in verse 11, he points out to them what they may even find in the church. In the church, he says in verse 11, but now I have written unto you not to keep company. If any man is called a brother, be a fornicator, covetous, covetous, idolater, railer, drunkard, or extortioner. A railer is telling us there, be stay away from a person. And let me show you this real quick. In the Webster's Dictionary, it tells us that a railer is a structural member or support. A railer in the Webster's Dictionary is a structured member or support. In the in the normal dictionary, just the, the, the everyday dictionary that we look up, it'll tell us that a railer, they express objections and criticisms and bitter and harsh or abusive language. These are the folks in the church. The railer is in the church. The reviler in the Greek, they're in the church. And then guess what else he points out to us is also in the church, in addition to the fornicator, the covetous, and the idolater, and the railer, the drunkard, the drunkard, one who is intoxicated. And in this particular text, it's not necessarily referring to one that is intoxicated with alcohol, but they are, they could also be intoxicated with anything that they love. They are enthralled with something. They are taken over with something. Something is driving them. They worship something ungodly. And the extortioner, the robber in the church Oh, come on, Paul told them. Paul said it. I didn't say it. Paul said it. The robber is in the church. The ravenous is in the church. The intoxicated is in the church. The, the, the one that speaks criticisms in bitter, harsh, and abusive language, they're in the church. The one, the structural member that supports them, they're in the church. They're in the church. They're in the church, which means if they are in the church, then some of this may be found in us. So God is calling us to examine ourselves. Do we find any of these things in us? And are we arrogant about the things that we not only find in us, but oh no, oh thank God, they're not in me, they're in him, they're in her. Are we puffed up that it is not us rather than pray, rather than repent, rather than, I remember back in the day, we were taught we could repent on the, on the behalf of another. Do we repent at all? At all, because Paul is giving them a swift warning. He found fornication in the church, but because of the fornication that he found in the church, he was able to point out to them what is possibly in them that they would even tolerate such things. 
So, so if you know that these things are in your, in your community, your church community, then we now must examine what is in you that is allowing you to tolerate those things. What thing, what in you ha is, has become a structural member or support? What in you has become the railer? You're the railer now. You're the revive. You're the you're the reveler now. You you're a structural member of support to the intoxicated, to the extortioner, the robber. Come on, to the to the fornicator. Now you're a structural member or support. There's a problem in the church today, and if there's a problem in the church today, that means there's a problem in the individuals in the church today. Verse thirteen says, "But them that are with." Out God judgeth, judgeth. Therefore, put away from among yourselves the wicked person. Put away from yourself the wicked person. And I'm here to show you tonight that the wicked person is not always external. Sometimes the wicked person is internal. Sometimes the wicked person has become that structural member or support that justifies the robber, that justifies the intoxicated, that justifies the railer, that justifies the fornicator, that justifies the extortionary, extortioner. Sometimes the wicked person is internal, is within us is within us operating and driving our actions and driving our thoughts and driving our persona. Sometimes the wicked person is steering this flesh, is steering this flesh. And we allow it to be so because we thank God that it is not us. It is not us. But can I tell you that if you're supporting if you're supporting the, if you're supporting the 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 idolatry, if you're justifying the robber, if you're if you're if you're okay with the intoxicated one, then something in you has become a structural member of support to that thing that's external at times, but there's something internal that's allowing you to tolerate it. This is what Paul is saying to Corinth. I'm just letting you know what he's saying to Corinth because the Bible says that there are lessons in there for us today that we can grow and live thereby, that we can mature, that we can just simply grow if not, if not fully, but come on, just a stature of the measure of Christ. Just a, just a little growth, just a little growth. Uh, Paul is trying to say just a little growth. And see, right now we are at a crossroad. We are at a crossroad. Come on, stay with me. Stick with me. I am going somewhere. We are at a crossroad. We must, again, I say it often, make a decision. We must make a decision. What are we talking about tonight? Prophetess, what crossroad am I at? What decisions do I need to make? How, how, how did I get here? And where is here? Where is here? And how do we 
fix this? How do we realign with Christ? What are you talking about? I am talking about unforgiveness. I'm talking about unforgiveness, the most arrogant sin. I'm talking about unforgiveness, the most arrogant sin. So we are at a crossroad. I just said, we're at a crossroad. Let's talk about what forgiveness is. And you're like, how did we get here? Come on, stay with me. I'm going somewhere. The crossroad we're at, let's talk about what forgiveness means in the Greek. It means to do something pleasant or agreeable, to do a favor, to to gratify, to show one's self gracious kind and benevolent, to grant forgiveness, to pardon, to give graciously, give freely, bestow, to forgive, graciously, to restore one to another, to preserve. It means to preserve for one, a person in peril. Now, remember where we're at, we're in second Corinthians and Paul here is admonishing the body of Christ, the church in Corinth, because there was a young man that was sleeping with his stepmother and they just looked over it, just looked over it. And he told them, no, turn him over so that his flesh rebuke him so that his flesh might might be killed but his soul can be his soul can be saved so forgive him so now what we want to understand is why why were why were this why were they so willing to overlook it what in them was okay with overlooking it overlooking it come on forgiving others is an issue that none of us ever have a problem recognizing. We recognize when it needs to be done. Do we always do it? Nope, nope, we don't always do it. But forgiving others is something that we recognize. Second Corinthians 2, 10 through 11, it says, to whom ye forgive anything. If you forgive anything, Paul is telling the church in Corinth, I forgive also. For if I forgave anything to whom I forgave it for your sakes, I forgave it in the person of Christ. So I forgave, my forgiveness is being extended to you because Christ extended it to me. So if you forgive them, I forgive them also. After all, it's in your midst. So if you forgive, then I forgive also because I forgive it in the person of Christ. And verse 11 says, lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. When we forgive, when we forgive, we remove Satan's advantage over us. Because when we do not forgive, Satan now has an advantage over us. He has something on us. See, forgiving others, while we recognize it should be done, we do not always do it. We say we do, but we do not 
always do it, not understanding that if we are unable to extend the free, the free gift of forgiveness that Jesus Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ has extended to us, he get, we are no better than the scriptures tell us of the gentleman whose debt was forgiven. But those who owed him, he went and tried to basically beat it out of them. He showed no forgiveness of the debt that they owed him, even though his debt was forgiven. That is a level of arrogance that we need to comprehend. And you're wondering, how does arrogance enter in with unforgiveness? Because you will not grant others a free gift that was given to you. Christ gives it to you and you refuse to extend it to another. See, forgiving our forgiving others, forgiving others is something that we can recognize as something that needs to be done. Oh, but there's a twist in this forgiveness. Forgiving ourselves. Forgiving ourselves, we usually ignore this issue because our own arrogance will not allow us to admit our part. It will not allow us to admit that we actually did do the thing, that we actually did commit the sin. Our own arrogance will not allow us, allow us to own it, to own it. Even though we understand that God will work all things, every single thing together for our good. But how can we how can we separate the lesson from the experience if we will not even admit our part in it? We will not even admit that it happened. We will not even admit that we were we were we were lulled away by our own lust. We won't even admit it. We won't even admit it. First John 1 and 8, it says, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth, the truth is not in us. Verse 9 says, if we confess our sins, God is faithful. He is faithful and he's just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. See, if we admit our sin, if we admit our sin, not only are we going to be forgiven, but we will be cleansed. So holding on to our sin by not repenting, not only are we not, not only are we not forgiven, but we're dirty. We're full of unrighteousness. We're full of unrighteousness. So how is it that we've become a structure or support for sin in the church? Because we ourselves have not been able to forgive ourselves from our own sin and confess that sin to God on that sin. And so we are missing out on being cleansed. And because we're not cleansed, Satan now has an advantage over us. And that which is not clean finds place near us and in us. Now the external thing has become internal and we're walking around holding on to our uh, holding on to our uh, unforgiveness and we won't forgive them and we won't forgive us and we won't confess the sin so we are unclean now the unclean things are attracted to us the unclean things now have place in us 
Verse 10 says, if we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar. We make God a liar and his word is not in us. Oh, so now, so now are we not only unforgiven and not only are we unrighteous, but now we are also, we are also, his word also cannot dwell in us. If his word cannot dwell in us, what is going to cleanse us from filthiness of the flesh and of the spirit if his word cannot rest in us because of our unrighteousness, because we will not confess our sins? our sins. Ephesians 4 and 32, it tells us, it says, and be ye kind to one another, tender hearted, forgiving one another, even, even as God for Christ's sake has forgiven you. As he forgave you, you extend that same forgiveness to another. But see, because we cannot forgive ourselves, we are unable to progress. We are unable to move. We've taken on burdens that are not ours because we will not forgive. We don't have to have the burden of unrighteousness. We don't have to have the burden that does not allow us, a burden that keeps us from, from our, our vessel, from being a container for God's word. We don't have to have those burdens, but our unforgiveness, our unforgiveness, it, 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 it bogs us down with burdens that keep us from moving. And some of us use those burdens. We surround ourselves with them, with those burdens as a form of protection, as a form of protection. Well, I forgive you, but I'm never going to forget. Well, I forgive you, but I'm never going to talk to you again. Well, I forgive you, but I'm not. You're surrounding you building up a wall of your unforgiveness to protect yourself from ever being hurt again because your arrogance won't allow you to admit the part that you played. So we give Satan entrance. And then what happens is once we give Satan entrance, he begins to harass us with our past mistakes made in our past experiences. And we become paralyzed. He talks to us every day and tells us of all the wrong that we've done. He talks to us every day and he tells us that God doesn't loves us, love us, nor does God desire us, nor does God want to use us for his glory. He tells us that we failures. He tells us that we're never going to progress. He tells us that we're never going to be used of God. He tells us that we are nothing and we submit to those words. We become paralyzed to those words because we won't forgive others and we won't forgive ourselves. We won't forgive ourselves. The bigger question here is why? The bigger question here is why? 2 Corinthians 2 and 10, Paul says it like this, to whom ye forgive anything, I forgive also. For if I forgave anything to whom I forgave it, for your sake, I forgave it in the person of Christ. 
Jesus says it like this after he taught us how to pray in Matthew 6, 14 and 15. He said, if you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your father, your father will not forgive your sins. The amplified version says it like this, for if you forgive if you forgive others trespasses, I love the amplified version, they're reckless and they're willful sins. They're reckless and they're willful sins. Your heavenly father will also forgive you. Verse 15, but if you do not forgive others, nurturing, it says in the amplified version, your hurt and your anger, with the result that interferes with your relationship with God. But if you do not forgive others, nurturing your hurt and your anger with the result that it interferes with your relationship with God, then your father will not forgive your trespasses. Your father will not forgive your trespasses passes. We are making ourselves useless to the plan of God when we fully walk in the sin of unforgiveness. God gave it to you free of charge, yet you are withholding it, preferring to wound those who wounded you, when in fact, you are the one who is suffering. You you, you're the one who's suffering. Luke 13 says the app in the amplified version, verse one, it says, just, I got just a little story here. Just at that time, some people came and they told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate, the governor had mixed with their sacrifices. Jesus replied to them, do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they have suffered? In this way, I tell you, no, I tell you, no, but unless you repent, change your old way of thinking, turn from your sinful ways and live changed lives, you also likewise will perish. Or do you assume that those 18 on whom the tower of Siloam fell and killed were worse sinners than all others who lived in Jerusalem. I tell you, no, but unless you repent, change your old way of thinking, turn from your sinful ways and live changed lives, you will all likewise perish. And when we see that word perish there, the first thing we think of death, eternal death. We think of hell. But can I tell you that word in the Greek, it simply means to destroy. It means, guess what? To put out of the way entirely. Entirely. Abolish. Put an end to ruin. Render useless. So we are making ourselves useless 
to the kingdom of God when we will not forgive ourselves, when we will not forgive others, when we choose to nurture our hurt and our pain rather than even confess our sin to Christ and be forgiven. So we are now rendered unrighteous and Christ has to put us out of the way entirely. We are of no use to him because we are too arrogant to admit, admit to our sin. We're too arrogant to admit to our wrong. We don't trust God that he's going to work it for our good, for our good. Let me tell you something here. For most of those, not all, for most, not all that are sitting in a, in a psychologist chair, if you could simply forgive your own self, you'd be able to forgive others and move on. I am not making light of your hurt. I am not making light of your pain. Yes, they did it to you. Yes, they emotionally scarred you. Yes, they physically scarred you. Yes, they abused your kindness. Yes, they abused your weaknesses. Yes, they abused your innocence. Yes, they did. Yes, they did. But right now, your current state of mind is rendering you useless to the kingdom of God. Now, if that's where you want to stay, then remain there. But if you are, if you are reluctant to continue down this path, if you are reluctant to, to take a chance that maybe, maybe by chance, God might forgive you, God might heal you, God might use you to heal others, then I say today that forgiveness is your portion. Forgiveness is your portion. Forgive yourself. Forgive yourself. Listen, Satan's strategy is to drive us with guilt. He wants to drive us with guilt and he wants us, he wants us to make our own selves a willing sacrifice. The sacrifice that forfeits God's promises over our lives. When all we had to do was repent admit our wrong to God and he'd forgive us. He'd cast that sin into the sea of forgetfulness and we'd hear about it no more because God is not a God that's going to throw it up in your face. He's not a God that's going to rub it in your face. He's not human. Don't, don't, don't measure him with humanity. Don't measure him with a human being. He is not human. He is not. He is, he is God. He is the all-knowing, all-wise, forgiving God that thought enough of us to send his son a sacrifice so that we could simply receive the gift of salvation and uh, repent of our sins and believe upon him and do great works in his name and do great works. But instead, but instead, we'd rather, we'd rather punish another and we won't admit our part. We won't admit that we did not listen when we were told to go in a certain direction. Why? Because we're perfect. We're arrogant. 
We will not admit that we did not have to date that girl. We didn't have to date that guy. We will not admit we wanted to follow the crowd. We wanted to be accepted. We wanted to be with our peers. We were tired of being rejected. We don't want to admit that. We don't want to admit our own arrogance. We render ourselves stuck because of an and an inability, we render ourselves stuck because of an inability to admit that we're the one that got the ball rolling in that direction. We started all of this with our decision. God only promised that he would use everything for our good. See, because he gives us the power of choice. When are we going to forgive ourselves for our bad choices? When are we going to forgive ourselves for our bad decisions? When are we going to forgive ourselves? Instead of living and going in this life-altering direction, when all we have to do is admit, yep, I did it. God, I did it. I did it. I made a mess out of things. I made a mess out of this. And you told me not to go this way. I knew better. I knew better, but I was tired of being rejected. I needed to show them who I was. They finally accepted me. I wanted to show them who I was. And I know you told me that you would prove me. I know that you told me that you would make space for me. But God, I just wanted them to like me. I, I wanted them to accept me. See, we're never going to be able to learn, take the lessons and learn from our own experiences if we will not even admit to the point of kickoff, which is usually our own lust, our own lust. And see, God is true to his promise. He wants to use it for our good, but rather than allowing him to use it for our good because of our own arrogance, it now becomes a stumbling block because we won't release ourselves and we won't release others. I told you, it's real, they used you. Oh yes, I believe you, it's real, they abused you emotionally, physically, mentally, I believe you. They made you feel like nothing, I believe you. They disgraced your name, I believe you. They stole from you naturally and spiritually, I believe you, I believe you. Yet you're still the one in prison. They're living their best life. They're living their best life living their best life, going on to see Jesus. And here you are still holding a grudge. You're still angry. Oh, they're going to have to answer. They're going to have to answer to God for what they did to me. No, you're going to have to answer to God because you didn't forgive them and you didn't forgive yourself. You didn't allow God to be God. You didn't allow God to heal you. You didn't allow God to deliver you. You didn't allow God to cleanse you from the filthiness that they deposited into you. Instead, you festered that filthiness. And now that filthy, filthiness have you, has you supporting another's filthiness. See, God cannot forgive you if you will not forgive them. He couldn't forgive you because you wouldn't ask him to. You wouldn't admit to the role that you played. It doesn't mean, listen, it doesn't mean that you have to go talk to them or him or her. I read it earlier. If they are the fornicators of this world, they're if they're covetous, extortioners, idolaters, they, 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 they're supposed to be out in the world. You don't have to keep company with them. 
So if they hurt you, forgive them and get away from them. They're of the world. And if they're in the church, if there's somebody, I told you early in the scriptures, Paul told me that somebody in the church that you call brother, and if they're a fornicator, if they're covetous, if they're an idolater, if they're a railer, if they're a drunkard, if they're, as an, if they're an extortioner, you don't have to eat with them. Nobody telling you you have to eat with them, but you must forgive. You must forgive. We have instruction in the word of God, but we will not follow through simply because we cannot forgive their recklessness, their willful sins. But instead, we want to nurture our hurt. We want to nurture our anger. Oh my God, they hurt me so bad. Somebody feels sorry for me and 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 do this, that for me and the other. Can you please? Because I've been hurt so much in my past. I've been hurt so much in my life. And you don't understand that all of your holding on to hurt and anger is interfering with your relationship with God. Your father, God, is not going to forgive your trespasses as long as you don't forgive the trespass of another. If we're not forgiving by God because we will not, as the scripture told us, change our way of thinking and turn from our sinful ways on forgiveness of sin and live a changed life, then you, just as with any sin, are going to be are going to perish. You're going to be moved out of the way. Hebrews 12, it tells us in uh, verse 14, it says, continually pursue peace with everyone and the sanctification without which no one is ever going to see the Lord. Verse 15 says, see to it that no one falls short of God's grace, that no root of resentment no root of resentment springs up and causes trouble. And by it, many are defiled. Verse 16, and see to it that no one is immoral or godless like Esau, who sold his own birthright. And that's what we're doing when we will not forgive. We're selling our own birthright. We have a right to the gift of salvation, but you're selling it for a single meal as Esau did, a single meal of pity, a single meal of unforgiveness. You're selling it for a single meal of unforgiveness. You're selling your salvation for unforgiveness. Verse 17 says, for you know that later on when he wanted to regain his title, when he wanted to be a child of God later on, when she wanted to be a child of God later on, his, her inheritance of the blessing, he or she was rejected. So when you come to yourself, now you're in a place of rejection for he found no opportunity for repentance. There was no more time for repentance. There was no way to repair everything that he had done. No chance to recall the choice he had made, even though he sought for it with bitter tears. How many of us today are like Esau? We're selling our inheritance. We're selling our birthright of salvation for unforgiveness for unforgiveness. We're forfeiting our inheritance. 
when we don't understand that the opportunity to repair all the mess that we've made, the further mess that we've made, we kind of dig our heels in when we won't we won't forgive, we dig our heels and now we're continuing to make mess after mess after mess. Now there's no more room for repentance and now we're rejected. Yet again, the thing that you were trying to avoid in the first place is now your portion, rejection. So what, what is the plea today? What is my plea today? This is what I'm saying to you today. This is what I'm saying to you today. Let go of what has let go of you. It's already let you go. Let it go. Let it go. Stop holding on to your past failures. Stop holding on to your past mistakes. Stop holding on to your bad decisions. Stop holding on to folks that hurt you. Stop holding on to how they hurt you. Stop holding on to that rape. Stop holding on to that molestation. Stop holding on to that cheater that hurt you. Stop holding on to the person that stole from you and how it made you feel. Stop holding on to the fact that you wish you would have listened. You wish you would have done things differently. Stop holding on. There is new life waiting for you on the other side of repentance. There is new life waiting for you on the other side of forgiveness. There is new life waiting for you, new destiny, new purpose waiting for you. If you are under the sound of my voice, this is for you. I am talking to you. If you think I'm not talking to you, I'm talking to you. If you think it doesn't mean you, yep, it means you. It means you. Take the lesson. Take the lesson. Whatever lesson that time has taught you, the experience has taught you, take that lesson, repent, and move on. It was a lesson well taught, and it was a lesson well learned. Some of my greatest hurt I had to understand I had to accept it as God used them to teach me a lesson. So it was a lesson well taught. And if I retain the lessons, it can be a lesson well learned. Excuse, excuse these folks for allowing God to use them to teach you a lesson. Excuse these people for allowing God to allow, to give, for God to take your choice, for God to take your choice and use it to mature you, to use it to help you grow up. You, ma'am, sir, are under the sound of my voice. Something tells me, I think you're not dead. I'm thinking you must be alive. I'm thinking you must be alive. So it was, come on, say it with me. Lesson well taught, lesson well learned. Lesson well taught, lesson well learned. Stop holding on to past failures and mistakes. It was a lesson well taught, lesson well learned. Repent. Even if you got the ball rolling, even if you walk head on to this problem, this issue, and you know you did, you know you did it, you know that you were accepting it, you knew what you were doing, you were hoping that it would work for your favor, and it did not work for you. Instead, it almost killed you. It still was a lesson well taught and a lesson well learned. 
I know he abused you. You thought he was the one. You thought he loved you. You thought that he had what it took to stick through hard times. You thought that he loved you. You didn't know that he was abusing your children. You didn't know that he would abuse you. Lesson well taught. Lesson well learned. I know they told you not to go that way. And I know that you didn't listen to them. I know you thought you knew more than everybody else. I know that you were young at the time. And I know they took advantage of your innocence. And I know they did it. They did do it. You did it. You did do it. Lesson well taught. Lesson well learned. Lesson well taught. Lesson well learned. We must forgive ourselves. Forgive ourselves. Lest we begin to walk in a level of arrogance where we cannot be recovered. Where we are now rejected. We're only back at square one. Where we put ourselves back at square one, where we render ourselves useless to God. We must forgive. We must forgive. Lest Satan use it against us. Yes, he let yet lest he use it to strategize us into arrogancy and to pride. And we create such a mess. We create such a mess that now there is no more room for repentance. We sell our salvation for the meal of unforgiveness. Let's forgive today. I'm not saying you have to go talk to anybody. Listen, let me tell you something. You must learn to forgive without ever hearing I'm sorry. Can I tell you how many people I've had to forgive because they were too arrogant to apologize? They were too prideful to say, I'm sorry, because that would mean admitting that they were wrong. And I'm not talking about parental figures. I'm telling you, because my mother would get on me and she never, huh, my mother never would apologize. And there were times she would find out that she chastised me wrong and I hadn't done what she thought I had done. But that was my mother. I'm talking our peers here. And guess what? Maybe I'll go a step further. Maybe I am talking parental figures because some of you are walking around mad and angry with parents that just didn't know no better. You're mad and angry with folks that did the best they could by you. They loved you the way they knew how. And you're mad at them for that. You won't forgive them for what their lack, their inability, their inability to love you as you feel like you needed to be loved. You won't forgive them for that. Well, you're making yourself useless to God because you won't forgive, forgive them and move on. They did the best that they could. That friend, that friend that, that, that took everything from you and never gave anything in return. Perhaps they didn't know how to be a friend. Perhaps you were the first friend they had that showed them how to care. So forgive them. And stop removing yourself from ever having friends again. That man, that woman that did not know how to love you, that did not, that mistreated you, that took seemingly everything from you, forgive them and stop removing yourself from ever receiving love again. Your spouse could be waiting on you to forgive the person who hurt you. 
They could be waiting on you to forgive yourself. So you didn't mature the way you thought you should have matured because you didn't know what you didn't know. But are you alive today? Do you have people around you today that love you, that want to show you a better way? How about you stop listening to Satan and letting Satan drive your direction and letting Satan tell you who you are and who you are not? And how about you hear this woman of God and forgive and move away from arrogancy and replace that place in your heart, that empty spot once it's cleansed of that filthiness of the flesh and of the spirit, replace it with salvation and the love of God. Receive the salvation that he freely gives to those, that he died for those, that he died for you to have. Why don't you replace that unforgiveness with God's love, with his salvation, and allow him to cleanse you, allow him to make you useful again to the kingdom of God. Allow him to give you a place in the kingdom of God. Allow him to give you a role in the kingdom of God. Stop resisting the free gift of salvation to hold on to your hurt and to your pain and to your unforgiveness and to your arrogancy. Because I'm telling you, if this is the road that you want to go down, Satan has full access to you and you can expect the things that I just said to multiply in you to multiply, to only increase. Now it's your choice. You can either have, you can have God increase in you. You can have the salvation of God increase you. You can have the righteousness of God increase you. You can have the glory of God increase you and you can have God use you, use you for his glory, for his purpose, or you can have Satan. You can have Satan get you to a place Will there'll be no more, no more, no more forgiveness for you. There'll be no more. You will be rejected from the kingdom of God, from the people of God. Why? Because you have made yourself useless. Come on, leave behind what has left you behind. Forget what has forgotten you. Lesson well taught. It was a lesson well learned. Come on, get it in your head. A lesson well learned taught. It was a lesson well learned. You learned it. You got it. Now take the lesson and move on. Take the lesson and move on. Somebody's waiting for you to move on. I'm not saying you're never going to feel that hurt again. I'm not saying that it's going to just go away overnight, but I'm telling you, if you forgive them little by little, you'll let go more and more every day. Until the next thing you know, you'll be standing in front of God full and complete, a full measure of the faith of God, a full measure of the statue of Christ. You'll be able to walk worthy of the vocation wherein you are called. You won't look to the left and the right no more. Your eyes will be fixed like a flint on the promises of God. You will know who you are because you'll understand that it's in Christ that you live and you breathe and you have your being. Nothing will be able to separate you from the love of Christ. Nothing. Nothing. I hurt for a long time, but I had to forgive. I refused not to forgive because sometimes I recognize that others don't know just like I didn't know what I didn't know. Can we, can we give people an allowance? 
Like God gave us an allowance or do we know everything? Are we just so perfect? Do we know everything? Can we allow God to raise them up like he's trying to raise us up? Can we give people a chance? They're a human being like you are. Forgive them. Forgive them. Because if you stay in this place of unforgiveness after today, after today, you are now on the enemy's territory. How do you know that? Because I just told you. You're under the sound of my voice. If you refuse to to forgive and you insist on holding on to your hurt and your pain, you have rendered yourself useless to God. Your only home will be with Satan. Ladies and gentlemen, we were talking about unforgiveness, the most arrogant sin. Let's pray. God, in the name of Jesus, I thank you today, God, that you're calling us to a place of forgiveness, to show the same forgiveness that you've shown to us, to others. For some God, under the sound of my voice, it will be hard. And I ask you, oh God, to dispatch warring angels around them. I want your blood covered hedge of protection to be in their ear gate and to cover them so that they can only hear the soothing, comforting voice of the Lord Savior Jesus Christ. I want them to hear you, God, welcome them into a place of comfort with you. I want them to hear you, oh God. I want them to feel you. I want them to feel you healing them. I want them to feel you removing doubt and rejection. I want them to feel you moving hurt, lack of love and disappointment. I want them to feel you removing pushing aside, pulling out rejection. I want them to feel you moving, taking away that hurt that was left to them when their spouses left them, when their spouses abused them. I want them to feel you removing the hurtful words from emotional abuse, from emotional abuse, from lack of love. I want you, them to feel you healing their mind from all mental mental anxieties that were placed there when they were mentally abused, when they were physically abused, when they were emotionally abused. I want them to feel you, God. I want them to feel you rescuing them from that place of pain, that place of hurt, that place when they had no one, those memories that won't go away, that when they had no one and they were left as a child, I want them to Feel your hand, your hand sewing up their heart, repairing their heart, clearing their mind and putting your love in that in that seat instead, in that place instead. I want them to feel you. I want them to feel your hand. God, show yourself to the men and women that are under the sound of my voice. Show yourself to the children that are under the sound of my voice. The children that have turned to drugs and off alcohol to escape the pain that they can't even put words to. I want them to feel your hand on their shoulder, comforting them. I want them to feel your arms around them. I want them to feel, feel, oh God, you pressing their head to your chest. I want them to feel your love. I want them to feel your acceptance. And I want them to know today, God, that whether or not they're ever accepted by man, that they're accepted in, in the kingdom of God. I want you to send comforting angels, God, to, to coddle them 
to hold their hand, to never leave them, to let them. I want you to, to, to the Holy Spirit to whisper, whisper teaching words of encouragement and love and security. I want you to give them security in you. I want you to provide security to leadership whom people have walked away from. I want you to give security to your men and women of God who have felt the hurt of people dismissing them and taking from them and using them and abusing them. I want you to, I want them to feel your security and your acceptance. I want you to soothe them. I want you to catch every tear. I want you to catch every tear and turn it into a jewel for their crown. God, manifest your presence in the hearts and the minds of your people under the sound of my voice. Go throughout the earth and cause your kingdom to come and your will to be done in the minds of your people. Rescue God, that woman who can't forget the rape. I want you to remove the feelings and the anxiety of that rape, the memory of that rape. I want you to remove it and replace it with your love and your sacrifice of Jesus Christ. I want you to remove it and replace it with the blood of God. Allow it to coat her inner man, her inner, his inner, that inner man. I want you to allow it to, to just wash over them in a wave of cleansing. I want them to feel you wash over them. I want them to feel your presence. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Do it for me. Do it for me, God. Heal them for me because I asked you to. Because they can't even, can't even think of the words. Heal them because I asked you to. Heal their heart and their minds because I asked you to. Heal the builder's hand so that he or she will build again because I asked you to. I asked you to. Heal their heart be and, and help them to love again because I asked you to. Because I asked you to. Heal the mother whose child will no longer receive her love because I asked you to because I asked you to heal the disappointed parent, heal the disappointed, the disappointed child, because I asked you to heal them now. They can't find the words for their hurt. It's buried so deep in their subconscious, their hurt, but heal them today because I asked you to. In Jesus name, in your name, your servant prays, your servant prays, amen, 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 amen. Thank you so much for joining me on this evening. I look forward to seeing you every Monday. And just know that if you are under the sound of my voice, I am praying for you. I am praying for each and every one of you. I don't have to know your name. My prayers stretch far and wide. They go throughout the earth. They go throughout the earth. And if you're under the sound of my voice, I am praying for you that God is going to do a mighty work in your life. He's going to do some great things in you and he's going to do some great things for you. Why? Because you received him. Because you received him. And because you received him, he only wants to love you. He wants to show you the best of him. The best that he has to offer is waiting on you. 
it's waiting on you. You be blessed of God. Have a good evening and I'll see you on next week. Kiss me.